Hello everyone, in today's episode we sit down and talk to Chris Joyce. Chris Joyce is the founder slash owner of The Woodman's Arms, a small independent restaurant which despite only being open for a few years, has went on to win national awards, and it was even voted for as one of the most popular restaurants within Newcastle. Chris and The Woodman's has also played a massive part in my own development over the past few years, giving me the chance to meet and even talk to a load of interesting people, as well as the opportunity to work amongst such an amazingly hardworking team. It is for this reason why I am so excited to have Chris on as our first guest. With all that out of the way, let's roll the intro music. Yeah. Oh, we're cooking on gas. We're live, everybody. Right, hello. Um, Episode one, Chris Joyce. Are you allowed to drink on a podcast so you're not meant to? Uh, Yeah, since we don't literally have the microphones this close, it means that I won't. As long as I don't slurp. I know, as long as you don't go yeah, but to be, over to, directly. To be fair, I've got a, I'm, I'm used, I always slurp a tea if I drink mm. a tea. Right, I'll not drink it. I'll try my best not to drink it. Right, anyway, so we'll start with when you were going to uni. So you went you were, went to the University of Sunderland. Yeah. What were you doing then? Um, so gr- growing up, I always wanted to be a PE teacher. Mm. Me, me um, PE teacher at school was called Mr Pickersgill, and he was like, he was probably me idol at the time. Like yeah. every, he was such a great guy, and I always remember um, this one speech that it was only a tiny little speech that he gave, but it was like in class one morning because he was my form tutor at the same time. And this lad had been like messing on. He'd been naughty. The head teacher had sent for him, and he'd been under tension and stuff like that. And then Mister Pipskill just flipped his lid. He was like, he was like, I'm sure he was called Daniel. He was like, Daniel, do you just want to? piss your life up the wall you know like and, it, and he was like saying do you not want to have a nice car do you not want to have a nice house do you not want to um do you not want to do things do you not want to go on holiday mm-hmm. and he like that was the first time we'd ever seen because he was a new teacher at the time so we'd start started at like year seven with him and went all the way through year 11 but in year seven that was his first teaching job ever so mm-hmm. this rant came about when we were in year nine. So it was like the first time we'd ever, ever seen like him. Ever seen him like sort of crack in a way. Yeah. So when he cracked, we were all just like. <laughs> and then, so he absolutely flipped his lid, kicking off with Daniel. And then uh, all that, all out of that conversation, two things stood out to me. The first one was when he said, do you not want to drive a nice car? And then I was like, put me hand up. I was like, okay. sir, you drive a VW Golf? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, that's not the point, Chris. <laughs> it's a car. <laughs> um, but the second thing that came out was just how passionate he was about, about like having. A, do you know what I mean? Like being in control of what you wanted to yeah, do. And, and so that was like the first point. I was like, do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. he'd I'd, because I'd never seen him so passionate. Um, I was like thinking, God, like you really want to do well. Yeah. Yeah. Just like having 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 that. So for me, having seen him get passionate about it and wanting people wanting them all to do well, I was like thinking, God, he really wants us to do well. So mm. for the next sort of two and a half years, I mean, I was never naughty at school, but I would, I was definitely cheeky. You know, yeah. I used to get on no, well no. with the teachers, mm. um, and and some teachers obviously I didn't get on with. Sorry, Mrs. Halliday, I know you hate us. <laughs> if you're listening, to Mr. Halliday, Mrs. Halliday, um, but yeah, so like so when. So then so I, I wanted amazing. to be a PE teacher off Mr. Pickersgill. I mm-hmm. thought, oh, well, I want to be a PE teacher. So the idea was do my GCSEs, um, went to college, went to Gateshead College. But Gateshead Sports College was so hard. It was, like, so difficult. Like, my two best friends, Wayne 
and Raju, they went to um, South Tyneside College. So what was happening at South Tyneside College was you could just do your assignments in lesson. Hmm. So like they didn't have any homework because they were completing all the assignments in yeah, lesson. Yeah, just doing everything they needed to do then. And then yeah, whereas at Gateshead Sports College, it was like you got taught at college and then the assignments... You had to do in your own time. Aye. So like <laughs> for a year... Every every day I was like, for a year, Wayne and Roger were like, oh, be all what you're doing. Oh, we're just going out. We're going down to the beach. I'm like, have you not got assignments to do? Mm. They're like, no, no, we'll do that at college. And I was like, that can't be fair. Um, so halfway through me, me gateshead, two years, a year into it, I thought, fuck this, I'm going, out to, going over to mm. South Tyneside College. So I went and joined South Tyneside College and it was like the easiest year of my life. Yeah. Um, it was just like, if you had to work like 100% at Gateshead to get the exact same results, because at that time it was the exact same result, mm, you know, just the in a different... same sort of qualification. Yeah, just a different environment. So anyway, went to South Tyneside, got the grades, went to university. I remember me and Raju, um, we, we both wanted to go to Leeds Uni, so we went down and, and, and checked in. I actually did really well. I got like uh, distinction, 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 got loads of good scores. Um, we both went to go to Leeds Uni, drove down in my little Vauxhall Corsa. It had a padlock on the boot because <laughs> I remember buying it. It cost us £350 the car and it like lasted us. I'd never took it on the motorway before trying to drive to Leeds Uni. And it, the steering wheel used to like start juddering when it got a 70 mile an hour. <laughs> but that's just because I had uh, two baldy tyres. But that's another story. So anyway, we drove down to Leeds, got to Leeds Uni to have a look around the open day. And it was um, the queue to get in was massive. So me and Roger were just like, yeah, fuck this, we're going back. <laughs> Got in the car and went back. Ended up going to Sunderland Uni. I think from that moment in time, because I just got to the uni and then turned back, I think I was destined never to really do well at yeah, university. I, because everybody else around was like taking it dead seriously. Yeah, but everyone was like, oh, we'll have a look at this, make sure this is the right choice and stuff like that. Whereas you were just sort of like, got there and were like, no. Yeah. I went back. So, so, then you, so then you ended up going to Sunderland Uni or University of Sunderland, sorry. Yeah. And then what did you end up doing? Course-wise, uh, course-wise did sports science. And then how long? Because I know that... It you... was solid, but it was solid. Yeah. Do you know, like, you, you can imagine, I think, looking back, you can you know why Gateshead College were doing the things that they were doing, to because... To prepare you for that next level, rather than I... just getting you in, like, the entry level. Yeah, exactly. So they were preparing you to do well at university. They weren't just saying, yeah, there's a qualification, crack on. They were saying... Well, this is what's going to happen in university. You need yeah. to be ready. So we got to uni, um, and it was just like, for me, I mean, I did a present. I, I thought I loved the body and loved sport and stuff like that. I had to do a presentation on the knee. It, the presentation had to last like 30 minutes. On the knee? On the knee. And I was like, a whole presentation on the knee. And I was like, I never used to get anxious. I was like dead confident mm. um, and didn't usually worry about anything, but... I think because obviously when you're growing up during secondary school and then you go to college, but at university that was like, oh, it's serious this. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like there's people, there's, there's, because there was a varied age, age range. I remember there was a guy who was like in our class, he was like 38. Yeah. You know, so like there was people there dead serious. There was people who wanted to go on and have real careers in in sports. So when, when, when I had to do that presentation on the knee, it was like, how much how much information can you actually talk about the knee before mm. I put people to sleep? So I was dead nervous, dead anxious. And then that that sort of feeling just surrounded everything that I did at university. 
So I just sort of clung on to like that nervous, anxious feeling. And I was like thinking, like, I want to be a PE teacher, but at the time, I mean, I wasn't aware of, you know, like when you become aware of your mind and how to look after it later on in life and you, and you, we could maybe talk about that later on. But at the time I just knew, I was like thinking, I can't, surely this isn't right to feel like this every day. Do you know, like. Just to feel sort of like that way. Yeah. Like feeling anxious about, or feeling like nearly sick about going to university. So I was like, this, this can't be right. Like surely this isn't life. So I then. Um, six weeks into the into university, were me and my best friend Wayne were like sat on a computer and we're meant to be doing a, an assignment. I think the lecturer was called Claire. We're meant to be doing a report for Claire, and it was due in at ten to four. It was due in at due in at four o'clock. Sorry, and at ten to four, me and Wayne are like sitting away on the computer. But if you can imagine, my best friend Wayne, he's like he wasn't computer literate, so I would be I would be like know how to use excel and do graphs mm-hmm. so i'd be flying with the assignment where wayne would just be every five minutes going how, how do you do uh, <laughs> how do you do that how do you put that in a graph so i'd be like trying to do my assignment and babysit wayne at the same time anyway someone came up the word about 10 to phone said oh what's that you're doing i was like oh it's the assignment for claire they're like oh you're doing the wrong one i was like what are ah, you doing the wrong one so i was like wayne we're doing the wrong fucking assignment yeah I was like what we're gonna do and then he went I don't know and I just went yeah and I logged out logged out the computer stood up and I was like I'm never coming back to university Wayne I said this I went this is the last time I'm logging out this computer I said I'm never coming back and then Wayne just looked at us and he went fucking I'm coming Wayne (laughs) so we're both literally just quit that day just because, like, sort of, not because of that, but sort of the build-up, and then that was just the decision that, that was just, like, the sort of, the final nail in the coffin. That, I, it was, I mean, probably I should have really stuck it out a little bit longer, but there was a, we were, that year was the last year where the, the, the fees were, like, I think £3,000 a year, mm. I think, the th- the, and then all of a sudden, the next year, it shot up to, like, nine grand. Yeah, because I think at the moment, it's £9,250 per year. Is it? insane so then what did you end up doing instead of that so like once you dropped out so once you'd like sort of decided you dropped out and stuff like that where did you end up going next what did um, you end up doing well for three months we had to pretend that we're still at university so Wayne's dad didn't bring him all over <laughs> <laughs> so for three months we actually used to leave Wayne's house because I used to pick him up and take him to university because mm. he I don't think he drove at the, no he didn't drive at the time um so I used to pick them up every day. So every day I'd pick them up and then we'd just go out for a couple of hours, probably go into Nando's, go and eat, and then we'd just randomly do, just wander about, and then we'd make sure we are back in the house so that Wayne's dad thought that we'd you, been to uni. You need, you need and about three months into it, I was like, yeah, Wayne, we need to just, we need to come clean here and just tell your dad that we're, we're not at university anymore. So I remember we were lying on the bed, Wayne was playing on his Xbox, like, we're just lying on his bed. That sounds like we're in a relationship. We're, <laughs> no, but I mean, like, we're just lying on like... the bed. And he, Wayne's dad came in and he, and he said, he was like, look at his watch. And he went, what are you doing on? I was like, look, Wayne, we need to come clean. And he was like, how are you? What's up? And I said, look, we've we'll quit. We've quit university. And he just laughed. He just went, I fucking, he started swearing. He went, I fucking knew you would, you fucking knob. <laughs> and then walked out, the, walked out the bedroom and that was it. And then I said, wait, I was like, oh, we've, we've done well there. We've got off lightly. Mm. Like, I thought he was going to kick off, but he didn't. Full on, like, just 
But then I left uni and then I got a job. I was already working part-time for a company and it had, so this is really where the pub, the pub industry thing started for me. So I started back when I was 16 as a glass collector mm-hmm. in, a, in a nightclub in South Shields and it was called Dusk. And it was, it still is the hardest job I've ever done. Like it, honestly, it was like solid. Like it talked about like manual running about and lifting stuff up. Um, there was just, it was so busy. You were working in the pitch black, you know, like you'd have the disco lights, you'd have your earplugs on, but it was so busy. And you used to have to just like, like a little rat scurry around the floor, you know, picking up as many glasses as you could. And then you would you would like double stack them, triple stack them, quadruple stack them. So you've got like big tumblers and you'd have them stacked like all the way up, massive. Because what you didn't want to do is you didn't want to go to the other end of the nightclub and think, oh, fuck, I've got to battle my way through mm. all the way back. So you, you, you made your journey worthwhile and yeah, try to get as many glasses. As effective as you possibly could. Yeah. And then and then by the time, so I was like, so I did that for about, well, I did it for 12 months. Yeah, I did it for twelve months, and then just it was weird because back then you had a you had a people respected the manager where you worked. Do you mm. know what I mean? People thought he's the boss. Yeah, I mean he wasn't a like he wasn't like a an authoritative boss or like an angry boss, but because he was the but boss, because he was like in that position of power. Yeah, and then you were a glass collector, and then you were like, "Ooh, I'm on the bar next," and you were like excited about getting promoted onto the bar mm. when you turned eighteen, and like. It was like everybody was like, "Oh, you can't wait to get on the bar." And then when you're on the bar, I mean, again, it was a busy nightclub, so you just, you just constantly working hard all the time. So then I quickly went from the bar, so I went from glass collector to the bar, but then I was only on the bar for about a couple of months, and um, the offered as like a supervisor's job, which at the time was decent again because it, it there was that good working environment where people, people wanted to progress but people Mm. even if it was a part-time like there was a great like community among the staff everybody used to come in early you know if we started work at half 10 would come in at 10 o'clock would have mcdonald's would all sit and eat in the staff room there was like great camaraderie amongst everybody but that's because we all worked hard together um so then i became a supervisor and then i quickly I think that would have been around about the time of like 2008, 2009 maybe. And the obviously the recession happened. So the company had a completely mad reshuffle, got rid of loads, loads of managers. I ended up managing this nightclub for about three months when I was 18. So imagine being 18 running a nightclub. Yeah. Like I was absolutely buzzing. Um, it was so busy. And then... That was that, that that was basically how I got me foot on like being a manager. So then, so that was a nightclub called or a club, sorry, called um, Dusk. And then, where did you end up going after that? Or when did you sort of? So I, I I was basically running the nightclub as a manager as I was at university. So about three or four weeks into university, um, some the when they were having the reshuffle. The company said, oh, um, we want you to go and be an assistant manager at the Rattler, which was a restaurant in South Shields. Mm. So I went and went and done that. And like, so I, in my mind, I was thinking, oh, I'll juggle working in the Rattler and university. Yeah. So because I think I had the Rattler to fall back on, that's why I just got up and walked yeah, out of university. Yeah, that's why you sort of had that. Yeah. 
Yes, yeah, so that's why I just walked out. Um, but, I mean, great learning curve again. Like, I think feel like at the time when you're working hard and when you're doing things at the time, when you're like 17, 18, like, you can look around you and think, well, do I want to work as hard as the person I'm working next to? Mm. Like, or do I want to work harder? It doesn't mm. mean that you're any sort of different. It doesn't mean that you're better than them or you can do things better than them. But at least if you work hard and your attitude's right, like, like you feel at the time you think nothing's changing and nothing's happening. But then the more effort, the more sort of time you give something, like things just start happening, you know? So like yeah. I just ended up, before you knew, I was like assistant manager at this restaurant. It was a busy restaurant. Um... Well, busy at the time. We thought it was busy at the time. Looking back now, in terms of the numbers that we do now, the mm. Woodman's like it was a it was a quiet restaurant. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so I ended up working at the Rattler for a, probably about well, it was only about a year and a half because then the venue opened up another ven uh, venue in Sunderland, and then I was then the general manager of that. So I opened the that venue on my twenty first birthday. <laughs> so it was like a good. But bear in mind, I, had, I hadn't been given any training. It was like, yeah, Chris, the toll was when I was 20. They were like, we're opening up this place in Sunderland. It's, we've, we've bought it for like 300 grand, whatever it was. We're spending another 300 grand on it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the biggest site this company's ever owned. And they were like, we want you to go and run it. I thought, fuck me, he's winding us up, yeah. I was like, <laughs> there's no way I'm going to go and run that. Because I thought, like, the director at the time used to just come out and have a drink on a Friday, Saturday mm-hmm. night, so... He told us that when he'd had a drink, he was like, between me and you, don't tell anybody. So then later on, I was like, nah, he's winding us up him. Um, but then it turned out, aye, that, that, that actually did happen. <laughs> and I just remember there was loads of stuff going on because obviously it's only an independent company and the recession and stuff had been. So um, it was a massive risk for them to even just think about mm. opening up a site. But then to drop me in and say, you're going to go and run it. I remember doing cocktail training and I was like fuck me I haven't got a clue what I'm doing yeah do you know what? like I genuinely like yeah. I knew how to make cocktails but in terms of like trying to lead a group of people trying and, to like teach other people on how to do it rather than just sort of being in the zone where you're like literally I mean trying to you have to instill confidence in them so that they think do you know what it is I'm going to do well for this guy mm. you know I'm, I'm going to work hard so I remember thinking oh, I felt dead uneasy dead bit nervous um, and I mean, in the it was massive. We opened on St Patrick's Day weekend because it was sorry. We St Patrick's Day weekend that that year was about the nineteenth of March, and then my, my birthday was the thirty first of March. So it opened when I was twenty, and I remember we took about nineteen grand in a day. It mm. was honestly, it was rammed. It was like just shoulder to shoulder, wall to wall like just beer just constantly coming out there was live music it was bouncing like and I just remember thinking like nobody's actually sat us down do you know what I mean and sort of taught you like this is how you should do it and this is how you need to sort of yeah but so many people use that as an excuse of, of for failing where mm. I was just I used to just crack on and think well it's tough now it's going to get easier at some point yeah that's I think that's my little motto that I tell myself it's just at some point life's got to get easier yeah it will get easier eventually but it doesn't it just (laughs) things change (laughs) so i remember i remember like um things did start to get easier and things obviously quieted down and then we got better staff 
well not better staff we've got more staff and, and more experienced staff mm. um, and and but at the time the director didn't really want what I wanted like I wanted to, I wanted to like promote things and do loads of exciting things do you know like all the random stuff that we do here and and I mean this room that we're sat in now it's a yeah. it's a grain tank it's a silo but yeah so if you look around here I mean you probably can't see the majority of it here but we're actually sat in the grain tank at the Woodman's Arms and just like just looking around all the random stuff that's in like literally just over on that wall there is a swan with a crown on it just coming out of the wall and then teapots with flowers coming out of it teapots with flowers coming out of it loads of different stuff yeah so this is obviously meant to be used as a farmer to, to store grain. Mm. But so so the director at the time just didn't, he didn't, uh, he didn't want to do exciting stuff, which again, looking back, I can understand because they've ran loads of businesses and done, and they've, they've probably had loads of cash at hand and then went from having loads of cash to then zero cash. Mm. And they didn't and really want to have that risk. Because if they, if they sort of, over time, if they've seen what works, then they're probably a bit apprehensive as to try all this like all stuff like this like the new exciting stuff yeah well i think i think it goes down to do you know like uh, you've, you've got to try and like pe people people are the most important part of your business mm -hmm. you know so like no matter what business you're in i can imagine everybody has no matter how successful businesses are it's the people that make the business and at the time i mean that business it, it just I, I don't feel like it had the right people it didn't have the right people in the office you know like we used to take with paperwork up on a Monday morning and honestly, the woman in the office, she was like a witch. <laughs> if your paperwork was like 10 pence out, it was like, she'd just sling it back, she'd throw it back here and be like, go and do it again. Do you know what I mean? Like, and like a naughty mm. schoolboy, you'd run off with your tail between your legs and like spend hours trying to work out what you've done wrong, mm -hmm. you know? Like, you'd try and put it right. Um, so, but... Be because they, they they were just in that routine that basically they didn't have the right feeling throughout the company you know so every manager felt the same way I did you know like they just felt like I mean yes paperwork's important but that isn't what that isn't what gets customers in yeah. your building you know and if your managers aren't happy and they're not mm. working hard on, on the right and putting the right energy in the right places then it, it, it's never going to work, is it? Because we, the managers used to just, all we, every, any time the manager, managers were together, all we used to talk about was how much we hated the woman in the office. Mm. And what, oh, what she, what she made you do this week? Oh, I've, I had to do this. Oh, fuck me, I had to do that. Yeah. And that's all you'd talk about. Whereas if you think as a company, like good companies, when people, like it's hard enough getting people together to communicate, but when they do come together to communicate, they're talking about like positive things, aren't they? Yeah. How we're gonna make this better? Yeah, or, like, yeah, just general stuff like that where it's like, oh, how can we do this, or how can we do this, or like we can do this this way, this way, and stuff. Rather talking about ideas rather than sort of the person in the office, like you were saying. Yeah, like imagine if you every time that you met with your other colleagues who were in this doing the same role as you, if you could talk about positive things and say, this is how we're gonna do that. Yeah. But instead, it was just like Monday morning. Everybody dreaded it. The managers had to have a day off on a Tuesday, no questions asked. So then, if you hadn't fixed your paperwork by Wednesday, you know, like you're halfway through the week now, like mm. essentially your weekend starts in, in that trade, your weekend starts on a Thursday. Mm. So you, all your deliveries would come on a Thursday, 
So you literally had half your Wednesday to either feel positive about the weekend, <laughs> but 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 you didn't know because all that happened was that negative feeling that you had. Yeah. You just took that into what what was essentially going to come. You know, you would just think, oh well, maybe we'll be busy or we're going to be quiet. You know, like you were never, you were never like there was no people pushing you to be upbeat. Mm-hmm. You, you the only the only source of you being positive was yourself yeah finding some will somewhere to be like come on we'll yeah. make this work um so just quickly going on so i ended up going from life o'reilly i ended up then becoming like a mini sort of area manager so i was in charge of like um well basically the two life o'reilly's um and viva and viva and dusk at the time but then we we'll, released we'll, we'll dusk out so it was like two life o'reilly's and viva viva it's just like the most fun I've ever had. Like honestly, it was just so fun. I remember it was so busy. Like it was, it, it was what it was. It, it wasn't trying to be anything different. You know, you'd go in, you'd get a treble and a bomb for a fiver. Like it wasn't trying to be posh. It wasn't trying to be sophisticated. Mm. It was just like come out, get pissed, have fun, and that's it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like no serious dancers or anything like that. Like not, not flash. And I remember I stupidly, well, I say stupidly, but like there's a video, there was a video where these young lads and lasses basically, somebody opened the back door and let these young people in. So mm. they're like 17, um, 18, let these people in the back door. And then I posted it on my Facebook and then for next next month, next couple of months, like that back door just turned into the front door. Like so many people were just... Running in the back, honestly, we couldn't keep control. Like the amount of people that were just, they were like rats just flooding in. <laughs> you just couldn't keep control of them. But the police, I mean, the police were sort of happy. They just let we crack on. Mm. We didn't have any major issues. Like we didn't do anything that we shouldn't have done. It was just like there was just obviously underage people about. But not that I'm promoting underage drinking or anything like that. Um, and then from Viva, like. It was like it was turning over good money, dead busy, um, and but I just didn't feel like so I would have been I would have been about twenty three at this point, um, so I th- I felt like I'd almost accomplished everything, not that I set out to accomplish, but I was like, well, there's nothing more I can do in this company that's gonna yeah. make us happy unless the director turns around and says, Chris, I'm gonna give you loads of shares in the company, let's let's go on and promote this and and take the company in a different direction and try and get even busier. Um, but it wasn't. It was always just like... Um, it was always just like, we need to save this, we need to save that. And the woman in the office, it was obviously... Because there was no other managers, it was essentially just me and her. Mm. So it was like eleven. It was like a level playing field now. So it was like literally her only route of communication to any part of any bar was me. Yeah. So it was like, hang on. Is like it was like battle of your negative, I'm positive. Who's gonna win? Mm. And eventually, I won. You know, so she ended up leaving the company later on. Um, but um, it didn't really. But at this, but she left the company. So when yeah, she left the company. But at the same time, I was just like, nothing's happening here. Do you know what I mean? We're mm. not doing. We're not. We're not like looking after what we're trying to do. We're just on the. We're just trying to save money all the time. Yeah. So then, when I was about twenty-four, that's when I started thinking. Right, well, I want to go off and do something, like by myself. Mm-hmm. And then, 
then I just quit my job I think quit my job when I was 20 coming up with 25 I think I quit yeah I quit no I quit just after my 25th birthday um, and then I didn't have a job lined up quit quit me 25th just after my 25th birthday quit didn't have a job I was like sat around the house for a couple of days um, went and applied for a job at the Roka Hotel got it and the guy who owns the, the Roka Hotel like don't get us wrong he's dead nice but he's like um, just like one of those people you wouldn't want to upset yeah so like I, I got the job and he, I went down had an interview blah 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 got the the bar manager's job and then Master Debonair I knew I knew about Master Debonair so Simon from Master Debonair I like contacted him and said oh look I haven't got a job anymore so is there any jobs and then he was like yeah we'd love to have you on board so then I had to ring the Roka Hotel and said, oh, look, I've, I've been offered a job elsewhere, so I can't take your job. So they were a little bit upset at the time. Mm. But then, so I went and worked for Master Debonair for a couple of months. I knew I was only going to be, in, like, deep down, I knew I wasn't going to be there long yeah. because I knew I just wanted to get back into the pub trade. Mm-hmm. But, f- but for about four months, I just enjoyed having Saturday nights off. Yeah, so what was it like working at, like, Master Debonair? Oh, it was mental. Like, it was, like such a great company to work for because obviously it's such a like I wouldn't unique brand in terms of how they've created the brand but obviously what they're doing like selling suits isn't unique but how they've dressed it up with everything else that they're doing yeah like their approach to it yeah their approach to it the customer service and just the style of everything is just like amazing so it was dead fun um and it was and it was it was good. I, I learned loads of things, but like a duck the water. I mean, I always remember this guy drove down from Glasgow for a suit. He was like walking the door. This big fella. He was like in his big Scottish accent. He's like, "All right, Paul, do is that Scottish? I, sort of yeah. Scottish." He's like, "I've came down from Glasgow for a suit, bloody." He was like, and he just pointed at the reel. He said, "This is the suit that I want." And I literally, I'd only been working there a couple of weeks. And I just picked off any suit that I thought fit. I was like, ah, he looks like a sort of 46 waistcoat, you know, like a 48 jacket and a, whatever the trousers were. I picked them all up, give them it. He went in the change rooms, tried it on, came out. He went, yeah, that's spot on. And then he bought it and drove off. Hmm. He was literally yeah. in the shop less than five minutes. Literally just came in. Just but in that, that, that was obviously credit to how they had set that Master Debonair brand up. You know, like people were just driving from all over just just to, to just like just to go to that. Yeah, because they'd else. seen it on Instagram and seen it on Facebook, and people want to be associated with good brands, and I mm-hmm. think people want to be associated with good independent brands because they want to they want that they want to be able to tell the friends first. Oh, this is exciting! You need yeah. to go there. Or if someone compliments them on it, like say, "Oh, your suit looks nice," be like, "Oh yeah, I got it from Master Debonair." And like they'd be like, "Well, what's that?" And then they can like they feel proud of the feels if they're like personally involved with them. Yeah, exactly. Just on this sort of small independent sort of scale. Yeah, because I mean, like, you don't you don't talk about independent independent brands the way that, the same way that you talk about like Amazon and Facebook and yeah, stuff like that. Completely different, like, isn't it? People like to tell people about independent brands, but then obviously nobody gets excited about Nando's. Everybody raves about it, but they don't have that good feeling when they talk yeah. about it and they don't feel as if they're sort of personally involved with it that they don't feel as if they're a part of something they just feel as if they're just shopping there or like going there for yeah so i think going to master debonair was a great like little apprenticeship for me in terms of 
like slogging it out for the company that I'd been working for mm-hmm. and then wanting to be a part of something where the people who own it are so passionate about what they do you know so coming out of the other side and going go even though it was a completely different industry you know like I've seen how passionate even mm-hmm. Simon were about it so like I was like th- that's what I, I want to be like that do you know what I mean like yeah. I want to like I want to work hard but it doesn't want to feel like a, like a, a like a you know, like when you work hard, but you you don't dread going to work, yeah. sort of thing. When you're sort of passionate, and you know that sort of your work is mean, like meaningful in a way. Yeah, so like sort of you can see the direct impacts, and you're sort of really happy about where, like happy with your job, really. I suppose, but I mean, obviously, so leaving the leaving Master Debonair, and then opening up the Woodman's Arms. So we opened up the Woodman's December that year. So I left Master Debonair about August, and then. Um, and then started to fit it out. But I mean, for about a month and a bit, we just potted about, didn't really do anything, and then we eventually we ripped the carpet up. Mm. But actually, when we took the Woodman's on, we had to trade it for a couple of weeks. We are meant to trade it for a month, but we I remember, instead of hiring loads of staff, we inherited a couple of staff, but we didn't hire loads. Uh, we didn't take loads over, because everybody went off and worked elsewhere. So I had to give my mum a job. And I remember the first day, my mum was working in the kitchen and she rang us. She was like, Chris, um, somebody's placed a food order. She was like, but I can't find the cooker. I was mm. like, mum, it's a pub kitchen. I was like, there's got to be a cooker in there somewhere. She was like, honestly, I've looked everywhere. There's no cooker. I was like, mum, you're winding us up here. Yeah. I was like, you make me drive all the way up there. Because obviously from South Shields and mm. Wickham's like a 40 minute drive. So anyway, I got all the way up here yeah, and like there wasn't a single oven. <laughs> So like, you know when people say you go and have like a pub meal and it's like microwaved. Yeah. Like they're not lying. I think they had thirteen microwaves when we took the kitchen over and not a single oven. That's crazy. So, and then a couple of days later, I I had to do a shift in the kitchen and I was I was chef for the day. <laughs> I had a, had about twelve attempts at this one pie because it was like, it was had to cook it in something called a merry chef, which is like a nuclear powered bloody microwave it's like microwave on steroids like you put anything in and it'll just blitz it mm. um i kept putting this pie in and it just was disintegrating i thought fuck me i don't know what i'm doing here so then a couple of days later we then just shut we shut the that's when we shut the full pub for a mm. refurb um and then then we started getting we started refurbishing it which was like again like difficult time like didn't have a lot of money to spend on it so we just beg borrowed and stole everything that we possibly mm. could um i remember going down to my mum's pub and just lynching anything yeah, I, I remember could. she was telling us a story about it how because she, she had was it like so the pub that she was actually had one next door or something like that with like all the old stuff or all just stuff that she didn't need or something like that so then you just hide it on the back of the van uh, it was basically like, do you know Phoenix Nights? Have you seen Phoenix Nights where mm-hmm. the guy comes in in an overall and steals the TV? And, oh, yeah, I think I've seen like, a clip of it. Peter Kay comes in, he goes, or Brian Potter comes in and goes, where's the TV? And he says, <laughs> well, two lads came and took it before. <laughs> two lads have took me brand new TV and not one of you stopped them. <laughs> well, yeah, they were wearing overalls. Oh, wearing overalls? <laughs> so essentially, me and Lee went and done it... Um, Went and done a job on the on the just took loads of furniture. <laughs> they weren't using it anyway. The pub mm. was about to close, I think. Took a couple of fryers, I think, as well. Yeah. Um, and then, I and then so but but that's having that mentality, you know. So, 
a lot of the stuff was like second hand or um, I mean we built a garden shed probably one of the most popular features in mm. the pub it, you know it's like just the shed yeah the shed in the pub it's just a shed made out of wood you know it wasn't very expensive to make but it's just the idea and yeah. being mad enough to say we're going to put a shed in here yeah um, so and then so that was like fitting out but I remember just like trying to organise like workmen to you know like big companies just have so much deep pockets that they can just get anything done yeah they can just be like oh we need a new like bath like the bathroom redone just literally I mean we we yeah when we um what I bought so I thought I was being organised because you know I'm not the most organised of people (laughs) um so I thought I was being organised and I bought I spent I remember spending because it was like the biggest sum of money that we'd spent we'd spent like 18 grand on cookers and I remember thinking right that's the biggest amount of like in one transaction that mm. was the biggest amount of money that was spent um, and I remember being dead organised so we're due to open in December and the cookers got delivered at the start of November and they're like brand new shiny all rattling cling film and they just literally sat there for like a month um, and then eventually we're, I didn't realise like we're LPG gas here so that means we're not we're not connected to the mains so essentially, trying to get somebody to fit commercial LPG equipment was just impossible. Honestly, mm. it was absolutely impossible. And it was just a nightmare. I mean, I was like ringing around, check a trade, everybody trying to get somebody to fit this equipment. And it turns out the equipment that I bought was the wrong equipment. So the I had bought equipment for natural gas when we actually needed equipment for LPG gas. Mm-hmm. And then we needed somebody to fit the LPG equipment, which we couldn't we really get. couldn't get because, you know, we... So the opening weekend, with VIP night on the Friday, we didn't have any gas. <laughs> don't ask us how we opened. I, I genuinely don't know. How did, that, how did you even pull that off? Well, because eventually what happened was, well, just before we opened, some gas fitter came and put the equipment on the wall, essentially hooked it all up. And I remember the oven... I don't know if I've ever told you this story before, but the oven was like a flamethrower. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I remember you like, I remember putting my head in the kitchen once and the chef would open the door and it would like, this flame would just be bellowing <laughs> out of the oven. And like, Rob, I'm sure he was called Rob, the chef at the time, was like, whoa, fuck me. Like, literally hoying the meat in. And then, do you know the, the, like, the burner on the top, the six burner? Do you know, it looks like a Bunsen burner, what yeah. you'd like cook, cook with a pan on. Mm-hmm. I remember when the chef would turn that on, it would just be, that would be like a flamethrower. as well. power of flame. <laughs> just like pissing out fire. And I was like, yeah, something's not right, yeah. So, what, in hindsight, obviously, because I'd never opened up my own business and mm. a learning curve, and a learning curve at the time was obviously pay more money at the start to get a credible fitter to fit it so where we bought the equipment from he was like Chris do you want me to fit it for like 900 quid and at the time I was like I've just spent 18 grand 900 quid's a lot of money to get it fitted mm. looking back I should have just paid yeah, the 900 pound did it end up costing you more to get it redone or? well essentially what happened was on the Friday morning so the VIP night was on the Friday night mm. so we'd had gas for like we'd had gas for like a couple of days but it was like flame flown, flame thrown gla- gas. It's yeah. a tongue twister there. So I was like, this isn't safe, this. <laughs> so then I rang the company. I was like, look, who supplied it? Um, I forgot what his name was, but he was Scottish. And I said, you need to send somebody out here because something's not right. 
So basically, this young lad turned up and he just put yellow tape over all the equipment and said, you can't use it. And he left. And that's it. And then, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday, need gas. Came back on the Monday and he and he fixed it and put, made everything safe and done everything yeah. proper. But the so the opening weekend we didn't have any gas. So then, how did you manage? Like, how did you like sort of cook all the stuff and whatnot? I haven't that? got a clue. So from the moment from all the gas getting turned on, I don't think I went in the kitchen until the gas was back on. Just I just stayed out of the way, me. Out of sight, out of mind. Out of sight, out of mind. I mean, I was <laughs> ill. The pressure were under. Like, we were under massive pressure to get that business off the ground. I mean, we genuinely had no money, mm. no money left. Um, and and you, you obviously, you're opening up, you've got you've got bills to pay and whatever, and, and staff. Um, but in terms of numbers, I think we did about 80 on the first Sunday, 80 covers, which, mm. which isn't bad. But isn't bad for the first... Sunday. If you think how big the place is and how expensive it is to run, yeah. Um, so that was that was the opening weekend, and I remember just, I mean, I remember just feeling so like upset and miserable all of the time, like that sort of nothing was going right. It felt like mm-hmm. nothing was going right for us. Everything was going wrong. But um, looking back, it's obviously just situations that happen. It's just how you decide how you want to feel about yeah. it. That's all it is. Like, I've learned now, anything that's on the outside of your body and you're not in control of it, guess what? You have a choice how you want to feel about it. Yeah. You know, so if something's not going your way, that's absolutely fine, but it doesn't have to emotionally affect you mm-hmm. or mentally affect you. You just choose not to take any interest in it or you choose not to not to let that bother you. Yeah. I remember Fellside Road, every time I was driving the van to pick something up, there's a little ditch at the bottom of Fellside Road. I used to contemplate just driving off it. I was that upset. I used to think, yeah, I'm just going to f- drive off here right now. Like, I would genuinely be just crying in the van because there was just so much pressure and everything was going wrong. Mm. And then, and then obviously, you think the hard part's over. Do you know when we said, oh, you think the hard part's over? You thought the hard part was over and then, you just it gets even harder because now you're dealing with the public mm. you know you're dealing with actual human beings yeah and we had to we got the the chef like would the chef that were hired we didn't like i didn't see a future with him so we agreed to like part ways um i think he was struggling as well mm-hmm. so it wasn't like just a case of look i want you to leave it was like he was struggling with because he had never been a head chef before, the person that were hired. He'd, he'd only yeah. been like a, a sous chef or a second chef. And I thought it was a good opportunity for him to like come on and prove himself and, and, and go on to be a head chef, but it just didn't work out. Mm-hmm. So I remember Paul, the head chef who we've got now, Yeah. I literally, he was he was only helping out in the kitchen because he, he had a like really cush job at Kielde. You know, mm-hmm. he used to work four nights on and stay up there and then have three nights, three days off. Um, and and, and then I remember going in the kitchen and going, Paul, have you got a second? And I like waved him out. I was like, Paul, have you got a second? And he came out. He's like, yeah, what's happening? I was like, do you want a job as a head chef? And he actually said no at first. He said no, he knocked me back um, and went home. He thought about it for like, a, it was like a week or a week he just sort of left you like sort Aye. of like 
I mean, we had enough people in the kitchen to like put her on. Mm. But I remember some. I mean, the food. Some of the food was coming. I mean, I remember sausages were getting sent back raw and stuff like that. I was like, do, do you know what I'm talking about? Driving off the edge of that cliff. Like I was like, oh god, like because you you just you you put your trust in other people and you think either oh, going to deliver, you mm-hmm. know, but um, things were just going wrong. Um, so at that time, did you just not have a head chef? Like, was didn't have a head chef for about a week and a half. Mm. and it was like again the pressure of needing customers you know I mean it's just mental you know mm. think about where we were I, I, I don't even know how we are how we are right now do you yeah. know what I mean like how are we so busy right now like s- since lockdown we've, we've done 6,631 covers in 29 days that's insane I mean, I don't even know what the daily rate of that is, but mm. 6,631 covers. Um, we're probably doing about 200 covers a week if we're, if we're lucky. Mm. So anyway, Paul's wife, Christine, convinced them that... Because they actually met each other. Yeah, they met each other here, didn't they? Yeah, years ago. And I think Paul used to actually be... He was either the head chef or the second chef, like years and years ago. So mm. he was involved with this years ago as well. So yeah. I think we were lucky in the fact that his heart was it's already, already here. here. Like you he know? had emotional ties to the place. Yeah, he was emotionally attached to this venue, which without I didn't know that at the time. I was mm. just like, Paul, he got a second. Do you want the job? He was like, oh, if you think he's, he's he'd been a killer for like fourteen years or something. Yeah, 10 he had years. a nice sort of a nice thing set up and. And imagine young Chris, can it sort gas out? Can it do this? Can it do that? Young Chris just coming in the kitchen saying, Paul, do you know that cushy job that you get paid loads of money for doing? Do you want to leave it all, risk it all, and come and join this brand new kitchen, which you know already, because you've been working in it, isn't functioning properly, you know? Because I think at that point, he was ready to walk out, Paul, and he was didn't want to come back. Mm-hmm. You know, he was ready that that morning. Yeah. He was ready to go home and say, "That's it, I'm done. I don't want to help you out." Mm. Um, so imagine just leaving all of that and saying, "Do you know what it is, Chris? I am going to come work like, for you." I, I, why not? And he did. That's crazy. And then that's where we're like, that's where we just we just took off. I mean, Paul's mm. he's a great like he Paul could just absolutely go and change anybody's business in this industry. Like he's just a he's a, he's a, he's an absolute gem, and I know he's he's stubborn. But the fact that he's stubborn is that's what delivers. Well, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's all about processes for Paul. If the processes aren't right, it's almost like you know being organised and and saying right, this is what I'm doing and this is how I'm going to do it, and then repeating that process, mm-hmm. repeating that process. And if you keep repeating that process, things become easier. Yeah. You know, so a bit like. If you were, if whatever you do, you need to have a diary and you have to plan that diary. Like the the kitchen's version of a diary would be the fridge, you know, or the freezer, the big walk-in freezer, mm-hmm. so that you can see if it's if the fridge and freezer's organised, you can see exactly what's going on. Yeah, you know, you don't need to look anywhere else in the kitchen. You can just look in the fridge and the freezer. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where the process starts, and then, and then. Um, and then we just went on from there. We obviously hired, we had Ricky. He massively helped along the way, mm. you know. So, um, how I met Ricky 
was actually emboldened, believe it or not. I went out for some food. So because I left Master Debonair, we went to this Italian restaurant in Bolden. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ricky was like mint. He was mint. He served with, like he served with in the restaurant and he was mint crack. I had a, I had obviously had a drink because it was a leaving party. Mm. But I was like, the service has been class tonight. I was like, do you want a job? And he was like, where at? I said, oh, the Woodman's Arms. And he was like, I went, where? I, I said to Ricky, I went, where do you live? He said, oh, I'm from Bladen. Bear in mind, Bladen is like 10 minutes the other way. Mm. So if, if you've travelled from South Shields to Bladen, it would be 50 minutes. From South Shields to the Woodman's Arms, it would be 40 minutes. So I was like, this is this is fate, this. I was like, like sort of everything aligned at that point. I, I was like, you need to come to the Woodman's Arms. And then like, just, he, he just like, front of house wise, because he just had so much experience, mm. just like loads of little tiny things that you don't realise, but just make a massive difference. Yeah, like little 1% improvements, which add up to a massive thing. Aye, and he just, and honestly, he just absolutely changed for it. He was like, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that. Like, it's something as simple as a bin. You need a bin next to that till. You know, mm. so instead of having a bit of rubbish in your hand and you're wandering off all over, and then you just put, do you know what I mean? Just yeah, a tiny, just little, tiny little things, which like from a customer perspective are massive sort of things. Like say, if you could see, like say, front of house, like obviously, like explaining this now probably won't make sense to anyone unless you work here. But, like around next to the till, instead of having that bin there, travel it all the way around just with rubbish in your hand and stuff like that. It just makes it so much like. Just even not having a bin there just wouldn't. Well, you're just saving. Good. You're saving the journey, aren't you? So I think, like, losing sight is like when you when you've got so much. You're trying to juggle all these balls, mm. starting off a business, but you actually need to surround yourself with as many people as you possibly can who you trust and who are going to support. Yeah. So like, without Ricky, hundred percent, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing now mm-hmm. because he was just, he was just like just alleviated so much pressure do you know like when you see like a pressurised tank and somebody just opens up a pipe and it just starts going like that's what Ricky did that for about a year <laughs> um, but then obviously lo- things that we weren't doing but what we were, were trying to do was obviously mimic um, a good social media platform and, mm-hmm. and it was all everything that we wanted to do was good environment which we got right so the pub felt amazing yeah you know we had we had the scent machine when you come in Mm -hmm. which a lot of people it's a it's top secret we still don't tell what people is what that scent is so the environment was great and then the only thing that we wanted to get what the next two things was obviously the product and the service so they we think that they're this they're the same thing essentially so the product's coming from the kitchen but the service needs to match the product yeah and then the third thing is like social media and building that brand so all those three things together is what build a good brand so if you get the environment right the product and the service and then you can show it off so we wanted to try and mimic well in my head i wanted to try and mimic essentially what master debonair had created but in sort of the restaurant in the restaurant industry yeah you know so like but we learned loads of things on the way you know like how we're taking pictures of the food yeah if you go back to our Instagram at the very start, I honestly I die inside when I say it. I think, oh, what were we thinking? <laughs> like literally, what were we thinking? And then gradually you can see the change happen. Um, I'm not going to tell you what all the secrets are because you've got to keep some secrets. I've got to keep some secrets. Um, but but then I mean, but and and again, honestly, I genuinely don't know how. Well, I know how sort of. 
but we won Pub of the Year 2018. Mm. So that was that was our first year, and we got voted the best Sunday lunch in mm-hmm. in the northeast. And Pub of the Year was the Sunday Sun. Yeah, that was with was that with Eddie Eats or was that a different one? No, that was Eddie Eats. Yeah, I remember. But me and Paul had a great relationship by then. You would were, were you working? You would have been yeah, yeah like was, sixteen. Would yeah, you? Yeah, I was think. Yeah, I think so. Twenty eighteen summertime so i would have been yeah 16 just literally started it and i think that's another thing like how like it's all to do with the people that you've got in the business and so many people are just have like a, a rocket up the arse where they just want to like go out and hire the best people and say oh no you need to be able to do this you need to be able to do mm-hmm. that you need to be able to do this i mean you at the time you 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 genuinely wouldn't want to speak to anybody did you you no, were like not really. you were like dead on, shy on my first day when i came in because my sister asked us like oh if you want to come in come in and collect some glasses because it was like absolutely i remember outside. that day and you were like you were just all over the shop i was but you grafted so hard um and i just remember you being dead shy i'm sure i spoke to you as well and I yeah because like, it was like in the staff room so like when they were like oh put your stuff in the staff room where the old fridge is now what a what a f- dump that was. When you were in there, I remember I came in and you would have sat there and I was like, hello? <laughs> just like, I didn't know what to say or anything. I was just so like nervous. I remember, so going back to that, I mean, so like getting the right people involved in your business, but you've got to, you've got to absolutely take chances on, well, not take chances, but because... But allow ne- the, the time to sort of develop. Yeah, like you're not taking chances. You're just saying, do you know what it is? Yeah, I'm definitely going to give you an opportunity to mm-hmm. get to get on and, and, and have your first job. Can you remember Bradley? Yeah. Like Bradley, honestly, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. I mean, he turned up to his job interview in a full three-piece suit. Like he had like a funeral director's jacket on. Mm. You know, like such a pleasant, like... He's such a nice person. Yeah, but... I remember the pub, we were still decorating the pub, so he was one of the first people that were hired, but again, he was only 17. Mm. He never worked in a pub before. He was from Wickham High School, never worked in a pub. And the fact that he turned up in a suit and he was so polite and so pleasant, I was like, do you know what it is? He needs a job. Like, he needs to come on. Mm-hmm. And then we'll give him a job. And I, and I don't know if you remember, but he, like, a couple of times he'd, he'd spilled drinks over somebody. Mm. You know, he like he d- he didn't do it once. He did it like twice. It was like sort of a common occurrence. Yeah, and like, but he was just he was just nervous. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and that nerves, them nerves went eventually. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember we used to sit down and it'd be like, "What are you nervous about?" But he just wanted to do well. You know, yeah. like he genuinely wanted to do well. So eventually, I mean, he he then left. By the time he left to go to university, he's like head waiter or something in a cocktail bar in York now yeah, or something like that I've seen like, like just crazy. dead popular do you know mm-hmm. what I mean so like you've got to, you've got to let people make mistakes and yeah give them enough sort of space in which they can grow rather than just sort of let them like say oh you do this so like I, like just literally just boxing them in in this certain role you can yeah. sort of give them that space and be like oh it's like you're so, so you're collecting glasses and stuff like that but the way in which you can do that is so many different ways. It's not as if you have to, you collect glasses this way and you only you don't speak to customers whatsoever. It's just, I don't know, it's just, I don't know where I'm going off this. But well, because you know, because obviously you're, you're similar to what, what happened with Bradley, aren't you? So mm. in terms of you starting young and then now, like being here for so long. Yeah. I think you were working, I mean, you went from being collecting the glasses to being on the floor within not very long 
I know, because I think it was like my second, like, because I only came in for the day because she was like, oh, we need a hand and stuff like that. So I was like, yeah, go on then. We just get 20 quid or something like that. And then the next, then I think it was on the following Monday. Not cashing on, by the way. Not 20 quid cashing on. It was through the books. <laughs> proper, proper stuff. But then um, it was on the following Monday when Ricky was just like, all right, so you were cracking glass on the then What else can you do? And I just went, anything. I remember just being so nervous and I just went, anything like proper stuttering and stuff like that yeah. and he just had us doing every, every, anything and everything where now you're like we're number well number one mentioned <laughs> guy on TripAdvisor and, and any review it's like oh well to be fair Nathan's getting good reviews I know Nathan's getting on there like Nathan's been getting mentioned recently probably more than you so you need to uh, pick your game up yeah step up but then so one thing that I wanted to ask as well why did you end up picking the Woodmans like so why was this place like the first initial out of all the places that you could have probably picked why this place um, just because it was like a, it was a drive-to venue, so it had mm. its own like in 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 my mind it was like always, there's so many great venues out there where they're like they'll be at a busy set of traffic lights, and you'll always look, but you never stop, for some reason you never stop, mm. like, it's just because it's busy you think ah, oh, do you know what I mean? Like we'll not pull in there or whatever, so it was always it always had to be a drive-to venue where you could just make that extra bit special yeah, so it was all it would about be like a place to go rather than a place where it would just pop in when you run past yeah so like a bit destination destination dining we'll call it so it's like you 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 work hard on your sunday lunch which we did we accomplished in the first year with the eddie eats award and then you just hope that you can get them numbers up and then people who come and try your sunday lunch they then mm. they then come and try on another day yeah, but no, they love to come and come and visit you mm-hmm. and and drive out. I mean, we do six hundred Sunday lunches now on a Sunday. Yeah, like considering where we are, and we're not, we we haven't got anything else. We're not we're not a wedding venue yet, but <laughs> we're not. Do you know what I mean? We're literally just a pub mm-hmm. on a country road. It's just weird to think that literally with us being in the middle, it's sort of a century in the middle of nowhere, but the amount of people like the sort of the. The amount of traffic that just comes by and just yeah. the amount of people who come in and genuinely just love this place it's just crazy considering like if you just think about where we are yeah exactly and i think but every, everybody's to blame for that and blame is a good blame you know so like mm-hmm. the staff for being so pleasant the way that they are and mm-hmm. hard work and the way that they are and, and attentive and then you've got paul the head chef who um who obviously knows how to run a kitchen is organized and he knows and he knows how to be consistent. Yeah. Little things that Paul knows, it's like, like, I'll, I mean, the amount of mad ideas I've come up with, and it's like, some of them he'll just point blank say, no, we're not doing that, because he knows for a fine it's fact. Like, it's, just, it's not worth it's it. It's not worth it. But there's been so many occasions where he's like, thought, do you know what it is? I'm going to teach Chris a lesson. But not in a, in, I'm going to teach Chris yeah, a lesson in a bad way. Yeah, he's like trying to show us why things, certain things work and why certain things don't work. So to get behind his way of thinking about it. Yeah. So then, so we've got that. So we've got the staff, we've got Paul, and obviously all the other chefs that have grafted hard. Um, and then I think my just laid-back mentality. Mm, I was yeah. going to mention that actually. Like, so like sort of the way that our like the staff sort of operate here, is a lot different than when you go into any other place because it's when you ever go into any other place it's sort of the same it's always the same structure and you always go in and expect and it's just like it's very just like i don't know how to explain it it's like oh what drinks can i get here once i've done that then they just go they don't have any sort of like input on that like the like the waiters will just be like or oh, the waiters or waitresses sorry 
I'll just genuinely like just sort of take the order, go, mm-hmm. or, like sort of take the order, go, and then when they're clear, go. Whereas like here, like you can genuinely see where people have like conversations and stuff like that, where it's like people will be like talking about drinks and stuff like that, and when like say even if it's just as sim- simple as like say when someone orders a gin, but oh is that a double or a single, and the customer will go double and then the, the waiters the waitresses will be like oh why not it's friday after all and stuff like that just a little sort of remark like that yeah it's somewhere that's something that you wouldn't get anywhere else yeah so i think it's part goes back to building that brand you know so like mm-hmm. building that brand where people have to trust what you do the staff have to trust what you do because if they don't trust you mm-hmm. the customers aren't going to trust you and then and then you have that loyalty you know so then when times are tough like the coronavirus what's just happened or what's happening mm-hmm. you know like people come out and support you people come out and they think yeah that's where i want to go and eat i trust that brand i want to go and yeah. associate myself with that brand look at what instagram how many people associate with that brand and want to be associated with that brand mm-hmm. like that's that's just testament to how hard everybody else has worked you know it's testament to the like i say the staff the chef and and everybody's input that that goes in like another example i mean this guy when i was running viva honestly he's called adam adam sneller right there was out of nowhere viva then home started trending as a hashtag in shields so basically people would just go go out go to viva and the, the slogan was viva then home so that started trending and like he went off to a beta or wherever it was, Magaluf, and he got hashtag Viva Then Home tattooed on his leg. <laughs> so we had just, out of out of trying to do the right thing, yes, it wasn't high-end quality, but mm. the principles of doing the right thing and looking after, you know, like now we know them as like Instagram influencers, but yeah. before Instagram and influencers really existed back then, not like miles back then, but when it was, like, I used to just give away loads of stuff to the mm. popular people and people who would like come all the time, you know, like yeah. loyal customers. I would just say, yeah, have this for free. You're in all mm-hmm. the time. Like, and just reward people. Not like, not as a, as a, like you give me something, I'll give you something yeah. type thing. Just like. Not as a transaction, but more so just being like, oh, thank you. Yeah. Like, do you know gift. what I mean? Like, I like your class. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. There's some drink. Go and enjoy mm-hmm. yourself. So I remember Adam, when he got this tattoo, I literally messaged him and said, Adam, do you know what it is? You can have, because everybody took pictures of it. It went like viral in South yeah. Shield, sort of, so to speak. So then I remember just messaging Adam and saying, Adam, do you know what it is? You can have like, you can have drinks for free for the rest of your life for as long as I'm running Viva. So then every weekend, Adam used to just come out with his mates, but he's a big, big, tall lad. Mm. So like his head just pops above everybody else. But Viva used to be so busy. He used to just walk through the crowd and he'd, he'd look us out on the bar and all he'd, he used to just stick his hand up like that. So because everybody used to just drink uh, trebles and bombs, he used to just put his hand up as if to say, I want four. <laughs> and then I used to just make him four and give them it. Mm. And then he would just go, come back to the bar, he'd just go, two. And then I'd just make them and give them it. But for him, like, what a great little... yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, just something so insignificant. But, do you know what I mean? Just go out and have some fun. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing serious at all about me giving him free drinks. He's got a tattoo. The tattoo's still there. I was yeah. at a charity cricket event on Sunday and I seen him. And he's still got the tattoo still there. <laughs> Pulled his leg up and he went, are you fucking planning on opening Viva back up anytime soon? Because <laughs> <laughs> the tattoo's still there. Yeah. Um, so in terms of building up the brand, like, little things like that, 
Um, I mean, isn't it mental? On a, even on a large scale, people get like Harley Davidson tattooed on their arm. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's just a brand. Yeah. It's just a Literally name. Just a company which sells motorbikes. Yeah. At the end of the day, like if it, all of it just boils down to the simplest of concepts, but people get so like engrossed and so like attached to these certain companies doing this certain stuff. Yeah. So it's just like everybody bought into that brand and then just trying to use those principles that were learned so like from master debonair from like caring about your business and always just doing the right thing like keeping on top of as like as many things as possible and improve it all the time how can Mm -hmm. we make that better how can we make that better don't get us wrong so many things like happen in a bad way you know like you feel like you've hit a speed bump where a customer might customer might say negative things about you in public and they might try and like shoot you down that's absolutely mm-hmm. fine it's gonna happen but at the end of the day we know that our best interests are to make this a better business you know yeah. but it isn't always you can't unfortunately you can't make everybody happy all mm-hmm. of the time and things are gonna go wrong yeah but as long as we know that we're always trying to do the right thing but sometimes mm-hmm. you, you just can't always you can't always do that and you just have to accept that yeah. but as long as we just keep asking ourselves, how can we make that better how can we make that better? Like, how can we avoid this happening again? Or something like that. If something does go Yeah, wrong. well, I mean, you'll know how many times there'll be there'll be times where you think, do you know what it is? Them customers were great. Like, I interacted with them really well. Mm. And then there'll be other times where you think, oh, that was it was difficult to talk to them. Yeah. You know, it was difficult to get something out of them or they didn't seem interested. Mm-hmm. They just want to... They just literally want to eat. Just go. Which is fine, you know? So, if you, if you... From the customer's point of view, they're going in there think, right, well, I want to make... I want to... I want to feel special. I want. It's all about what the customer wants, which mm-hmm. is what we're there to do. But at the same time, coming from a restaurant's point of view, is like how many different variables there is mm-hmm. that we have to try and work out before the customers even sat down. You know, yeah. so other other they like as a one-off. Is it a casual meal or is it a special meal? Mm-hmm. You know, like do they want would they interact with them? Don't they want would they interact with them? And then even then you've got to work out the boundaries and which like you can sort of what you can say but you can't and like where you can really go with the conversation. Yeah, like do they want you to be dead posh in terms of just be minimalistic and say blahdy blahdy blah or do they want you to be human and, yeah, and be yourself? Chatty and just literally over the top yeah. enthusiastic or like laid back and stuff like that. So all those things you have to try and work out, and then that's why I think it's it's a great first job for anybody to go mm. and work in a restaurant. Definitely, I think it gives you a real good insight into just humans in general and how many different like sort of personalities. Yeah, how many different personalities and how you can sort of not appease them in a way, but sort of like because at the end of the day, you want them going out sort of thinking as if they've had like a really good experience, yeah. feeling as if they had a really good experience, and like no matter who you are like sort of each person's view of a good experience is different to each other's yeah exactly it's all down to sort of individual sort of perspective really and you've got to try and match that and give them a good service whilst giving this person a good service who's com- who both of their ideas could be completely different yeah like one could be like over the top chatty talking about like sort of like dogs and stuff like that and then the other person could literally just be like they don't want to talk to anyone yeah exactly and then you've got to try and like sort of find the balance and appease the two well, I mean, somebody somebody actually complained. Um, if you think, I mean, it's genuinely, and I say this with real emphasis, it's genuinely hard doing what we're doing for the numbers that we're doing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like, but 
it's it, it is hard it's hard keeping all the stuff going and and when it's well you know and, and when it when you're working hard so like managing that expectation so before people used to come to the woodman's arms and be like oh well what is the woodman's arms yeah you know they're a bit curious whereas now people have seen it they've heard good things about it so they're coming and they're expecting it mm-hmm. you know like before we, we might have got away with certain things in terms of if, if somebody did leave upset they'd be like oh well the new you know we'll let them off yeah. we'll give them a second chance where now people are coming it's like right it's good I'm expecting it to be good yeah. and if it isn't good I'm going to let you know about it mm-hmm. which is absolutely fine but again that makes it like we have to then step our game up I mean some woman the other day complained that um, we, we wouldn't cook chicken and sausages for a dog mm. you know so like managing that expectation like where do you draw the line in what is acceptable yeah. and what isn't acceptable to ask from a restaurant I mean we did have dog treats on the bar but we had to take them off because of the coronavirus yeah I think it's such an odd review where it's like oh such an odd sort of like complaint because at that point what, where do you draw the line it's like when someone says oh well I see that you do chicken nuggets See that you do mash. I see that you do like sort of uh, mushy peas. Can I have them all in one? So like going back to how, what were foundations of uh, trying to go off and be successful, it's all about the process. So yeah. the process is, can you do it once? But that same process, if you need to do it six hundred times, can you do it six hundred times? Yeah. You know. So if you're gonna do, if you're gonna do your chicken and your sausages for the dog oh. once. Are you going to do it for all the other dogs that come in? Mm. You know, so where do you draw the line? Yeah. Well, my friend came down, brought the dog, she got chicken and sausages. Yeah, then at that my, point... My dog wants a uh, hot mother clucker. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so where do you draw the line? Like, if if you said to the dog, look, uh, you can't get your chicken and sausages, so go and leave your own review, that would be fine. Do you know what I mean? Because the dog, the dog kind of type... Yeah. Do you even know then the dog probably wouldn't even have known the difference whether it was exactly. wouldn't even have known that it was getting chicken or would, chicken and sausages would the dog leave thing oh, fuck me I didn't like the woodman's arms uh, didn't I didn't get me chicken and sausages <laughs> chicken and sausages and a dog bowl filled with meringue exactly so it's like where do you draw the line on, on what's acceptable and what's not acceptable yeah. so our plan is obviously but again every going back to managing expectations everybody has different expectations of us mm-hmm. you know some people say oh it's an average pub at best mm. some people don't even like it you know like they don't like the woodman's arms they don't like coming again that's absolutely fine like we can only do what we're in control of and that yeah. that is ultimately try and be as best as what we think we can be mm-hmm. and then strive to be better yeah so we we i mean but then on the other hand loads of people love us you know, like yeah. loads of people like get excited about it, which there's is pe- great. Like there's people who genuinely travel from all over just to come here. It's well, I was talking to a girl from Whitley. I mean, Whitley Bay doesn't sound far from here, but it's a decent drive. Oh, it's a good trek for some just for some food, like just to go to a pub for some food. She got a taxi over. She That's was like, crazy. she was like, I need to get a taxi back. So I give her. A f- I think she was on the shots by this point. So I give her a free shot. Um, but but yeah. So in in terms of the Woodmans, I think it's going well. No, no, no. Um, thanks to you, obviously, people like you who have obviously worked so hard over the past couple of years. Mm. Um, and we don't. I mean, again, there's other examples of people like you. You know, I've got like Ellie H, been here a long time. Maddie, 
you know, all these people started off as runners and they've ended yeah. up on the floor and now they just boss it on the floor. Yeah, and they absolutely just literally like walk in and like walk in, you can just see them absolutely like trying their best and just doing like about four different things at yeah. once. It's like even on the till, there's always like a massive line of people and they're just like, oh, you're in the queue for the till and stuff like that. But even then, it's like, um, it's like when we were going past, we'll be like, oh, can I just grab the bill for this table? Whilst they're putting on a massive order of like about 10 fillet steaks all cooked within like a like different ways and stuff yeah. like that with different sources and whatnot and then they're like oh can you cash this off can you pass us this and everyone's like even though like they're super busy and stuff even in their own thing everyone likes to pull together and help each other out yeah which I just think it's an absolutely amazing sort of thing yeah well I think again it's just having that having that balance between well just having the right people isn't it mm. and I think anybody um it's just it's weird reflecting because you never really sit like I never really sit back and reflect and think well yeah like all the different tiny things because I think you could talk for hours and hours and hours about everything but in terms of um, obviously how the Woodman's is going I think it's going really well we've just got we're licensed through for the wedding venue so we're going to be it's already getting built at the minute so Mm -hmm. we just need that's it's an exciting step for the for the future yeah It'll be exciting to be fair because then that just sort of sets it in stone. This this is like sort of just a massive place for like just for Gateshead in general, just yeah. for the area. Yeah, it's literally just like a massive. I just I don't know. I just the way I just explain it is that it's just a massive, big step. Well, it's, it's just well. I tend not to just think about it. Me, I'm yeah. just I'm just happy just, that just I'm just happy that, that I get to wake up, um, and go to work. Mm. You know, and like. That's a privilege in itself, being able to go to work. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. like, I get a wage out of it. That's absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. Everybody else has got a job within our company, and that's great as well. Yeah. Which probably I get more joy out of employing people than I do anything else, really. Mm. Yeah. And then another thing that I want to talk about was um, sort of how you've developed, like, sort of as a person over the past sort of over your like sort of lifespan of over the lifespan of the woodmans because i imagine sort of when you were going into it or even like sort of before like chris when he was in like the university of sunderland doing sports probably didn't think the same way that you think now because i've seen that like recently and um, you put on a like sort of a facebook post and it was talking about how can businesses expect the staff to give it a hundred percent and give it the all and stuff working for them when during sort of the quarantine sort of the coronavirus period when it when like the, it flipped and the employees had to sort of lean on the business for a bit, they all just dropped them and just sort of like sacked them or like made them redundant and stuff like that. Yeah, well, I just think in terms of so to answer your first question, hundred percent, I'm not the same person I am now as what I was before. Um, but I think the experience is just just dealing with emotions. That's the biggest the mm. biggest thing you learn is just to deal with your emotions because, like. For some reason, nobody actually tells you that you're in control of your emotions. Mm. Every, do you know what I mean? Like people, we all just plod on thinking that we don't have control over any yeah. how we feel, but we do. Like, and I always say to people, like, if you understand that you're in control how you feel, and things on the outside of your body, I've said it before, but things on the outside of your body, you get to decide mm-hmm. how you feel about it, and and like you used to you 
people are used to just instantly reacting to something and that's yeah. why they feel like they don't have any control mm-hmm. so something might happen and they instantly react so they think oh I've got no control here yeah. but if you wake up and you're, you're conscious to the fact you have control like your mind just becomes so much more clear mm-hmm. you see things differently yeah. you know like something that might happen so, for instance if two people came in here now and like started fighting like you would react differently to me I would probably look at it and watch it and be calm, you know, and if just see how it transpired and then I would probably say, lads, what you're fighting for? Mm. You know, try and get to the bottom of it. I mean, that's probably not a good example, but you have a choice on how you want, how, how things want to make you feel. I mean, do you, you must have done some reading on emotions and stuff like that. And... I have like sort of an idea of it and just different stuff that I've read of mentions things. But I think a nice analogy to like sort of, I think, so go nice with what you were saying it's like you don't have a choice over like the cards that you dealt but how you play them is entirely up to you yeah it's like say in a game of poker like you don't get a choice over whether you've got good cards bad cards or anything like that but the way that you sort of play them and how you it's even sort of bluffing and pretend that you've got like bad ones and you've got amazing ones and stuff like that just yeah to, but like even then like that's just like sort of the way that you can manage them but ultimately you don't get a choice what the, of the cards that yeah, you dealt so you don't get a choice yeah. of the situations that you're thrown into but the way that you deal with them well, is always, entirely up to you I always say to people who are like struggling with dealing with the emotions is like emotion is just energy in motion that's that's where it comes mm. from so by energy that means f- something physically is happening in your body when you're feeling the way you're feeling yeah. and you've triggered you've triggered that feeling Mm-hmm. You've you've decided to feel that way, you know. Um, you've decided to set that energy off in motion around your body, and and I always say that if you've got a pound worth of emotions every single day inside your body, because it isn't free, so mm-hmm. energy isn't free. You have to eat food, you know, to get energy. Yeah. So when you're spending your emotions on things, like you can decide where you want to spend that money. And if mm. something, if something's bad or negative, or it's making you feel a horrible way, or it's making you feel anxious, there's two things you can do. You can either stay in that environment and think, right, I can deal with this. Mm-hmm. I'm in control here. That isn't making me sad anymore. So I'm in control. That's not making me upset, and it's not making us anxious. So you're conscious of how you're feeling. And you're well aware that you're not spending any of your one pound emotions, your daily one pound emotions on on those bad things or whatever it is that's happening. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing you can do: stay in the environment and be in control. And the second thing you can do is, if you feel like you can't control it, which you can, but you might not be at that point of realization you can actually control it. You just need to take yourself out of that environment. Yeah. Whatever that environment is, or wherever it is. Mm-hmm. So many times it happens to me. You can be in a you can be in a room with a powerful person or a negative person, and if they're just shouting about something and saying, "Oh, this is crap, this is crap, it's horrible, it's awful, it's rubbish," you know, like even if you consciously think that you're not listening to them and saying, "I'm not taking any of this in," the their negative tone is genuinely having an effect on how you feel, yeah. and you may not be aware of it, but if you surround yourself with people who just talk negatively and act negatively and just shout at everything they do and they talk things down. Mm-hmm. Well, this is crap, that's crap. Like, 
you that you'll feel that. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. you need to you need to just take yourself out of the environment or just like if just look at them and just think. Just you need to just shut off whatever. Just like sort of consciously think is is what they're doing positive, negative, or just neutral. Well, I just think just like think, you don't. E- I don't even. You don't even have to. Th- you don't have to think what they're doing is your mm-hmm. body. You you don't have to think what what are they what is their gain. You know whether it's positive, negative, or neutral because you 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 already know deep down inside. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If I was to shout at you now, you wouldn't have to think. Whoa. Yeah. Is that positive, negative, or neutral? You would just instantly know. I feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, but. Would you would you be aware enough to know that you can actually control how it makes you feel? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. So, like, if I started shouting at you now, saying, "Aaron, you shit, you this, you that," mm-hmm. in a serious tone, would you be aware enough to think, "I, you crap on Chris in it's your own mind," like, yeah, but when you say it, but like, it, but it's not having an effect on because it's a difficult thing to do. Mm. You know, like when yeah. I'm when I'm refereeing. You know, because there's loads of things going on. Like, I think that I'm in control, and I am, so 90% of the time, you know, like, players will shout at us, doesn't bother us, you know. What you say doesn't affect me because I'm in control. But when you've, if you consciously just, if your mind just slips elsewhere and you're thinking about something else and then somebody catches you off guard and they say, you, referee, you're a cheat, or you're this, you're that, then... Sometimes it does. You're like, whoa. Yeah, it's like, whoa. Do you know what I mean? Like, and then that's when, but that's when you start to feel it again. When you know that, ninety percent of the time, if you're in control, instead of feeling like, instead of being a hundred percent not in control, hundred percent of the time not in control, like you go from, it's just like a sliding bar, isn't it? Like, hopefully you get like, tap. You start off with being in control ten percent of the time. So that might be, for instance, um things that you might be do you know like little things like just tiny little conversations with people where you might normally feel awkward yeah you know so being a bit more confident when you're speaking to people like in my eyes nothing is awkward Mm -hmm. because awkward is just your perception of an event that is going to take place so it's only awkward because you're trying to preempt something that hasn't happened already Mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah so like if you go into a job interview you're worrying about the job interview, but what are you actually worrying about? Because you don't know the outcome. Yeah, you don't know how it's even going to go whatsoever. Yes, so... And you have an idea, but even then, like your mind will naturally like wander to like the worst-case scenario, if you let it. Yeah, so and then... Sort it, of like, literally, you can be like sort of thinking in the job interview, being like, oh, he's going to ask us this question, they're going to freeze him just so anxious, and be like, palms sweating, everything like that, and stuff like that. And if you overthink it in that sort of way, or let your mind wander into that way, It'll naturally go to the worst case scenario to try and prepare yourself for it. Yeah. Because it's it's a lot more, it's not more proactive for the brain to naturally wander to the worst case scenario and be prepared for it than to go to the best case scenario. And then when they go in and it turns out to be completely different. Yeah, but then even when it does, so if you're trying to preempt something, but what you're doing is you're attaching an emotion with that image in your head. Mm-hmm. You know, you the story that you're telling yourself in your head you're actually attaching emotion to yeah. what you're preempting, you know. So when we're saying let's get control of those little things, so the awkwardness would be like, well, actually, I don't know what's going to happen. Just keep telling yourself you don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, have if you've got enough power when you say I'm going to get the job, great. But if you don't have the power, 
or you don't have the realization to think well i can think either way i can either positively say this is going to happen or i can negatively say well i think this is going to happen mm-hmm. and then attach negative emotions to it so having control of that instance would just be like not trying to preempt what's going to happen yeah you know and- not like sort of attaching this sort of and not even like sort of thinking about it in a way that it's going to happen like this because not like say if, if you think worst case scenario that like a job interview you're going to get you're not going to get the job and stuff like that and you and you sort of go into that believing that and being like oh i'm not going to get the job constantly in your mind then nine times out of ten you probably won't get the job yeah. because you haven't displayed that sort of or you've been subconsciously acting away which brings that yeah, to, to fruition. Like road rage, if you've got a pound of energy, going back to the pound of energy a day, like, do you really want to consciously spend a pound of energy or some of that pound on an absolute stranger in a different metal box on wheels who you've never met before in your life? Mm-hmm. You're never going to see again before in your life. Unless he stops at the next set of traffic lights and gets out and braids you at hour. <laughs> at that point, <laughs> but, you'll see. Like... It, these people like it's start by like don't react mm. you know like why give them the satisfaction why react to something you have no control over yeah you're never going to see that person ever again if they cut you up so what they've cut you up do you know what i mean mm-hmm. just take your time you'll get to where you want to be yeah but you don't have to spend any emotion on them do you no like how is road rage even a thing like mm. it blows me mind i think it's just probably a case of people be already being angry in that point of view and then someone's literally just done something that's icing on the cake and then that's just their their outlet yeah but it's it, someone who they've never met before and they don't have any sort of responsibilities holding them but you don't need an out well, you don't need an outlet if you if you're yeah, consciously if you're aware of the fact that you're in control of your emotions because you don't need you don't need you don't have a build-up of emotions that you have a an outlet do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. you don't you don't just like you're not like filling up of anger, 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 anger. Yeah. Like you don't just, so if you fill up of anger, does that mean you fill up of happiness and happiness and happiness? Like, and then you'd have an outburst. What's an outburst of happiness? Just excitement. <laughs> just like screaming. <laughs> for, for like, I mean, like, to be fair, there's people who like, when they're really excited and stuff, they'll genuinely like shake and like ice up. Yeah, but I think you do, but then you need to, you need to, you need to not use the energy emotion, but you need to then, use body emotion so like for instance i started the gym again since lockdown last couple of days and i've and i feel so much better mm. do you know what i mean like so much better i can't describe how much better i feel yeah don't get us wrong i'm not like a gym freak i don't go on high weights around i just go in yeah. go on the treadmill keep my head down go on the bike keep my head down lift a couple of tens about a couple of nine and a halves <laughs> But you just feel so much better, just a little bit of exercise. And even me, sometimes you can try and overthink exercise. You can overthink, oh, I need need a plan. I need this. I need that. You spend too much, then ended up, you just spend too much time trying to design the perfect training plan when in reality you've just spent a week not training because you were waiting because you were planning this next big massive one. Yeah, or worrying what you're doing isn't suffice. But at the end of the day, just going out and doing 20 minutes of exercise in the gym... I think I did thir- I did 35 minutes this morning and and like that's it I'm happy with that you know mm. just be content yeah so aye so that was me that was me little rant on emotion so then um, where we left off there so then now it like sort of that takes us nicely just to sort of now 
And then we've recently, well, sorry, you've recently um, opened up the Mill House, which is a new sort of joint, like the sister venue of the Woodman's. Well, I, we don't like, uh, I don't like saying the sister venue because it's come... Oh, it's just completely different, but it's, it shares the same sort of... Yeah, so like we want to try and apply the same principles, but not, they both need to stand alone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So they both need to be, anybody who comes in and the customers can work out, oh, well, this is the same people who've got the Woodman's Arms, that's fine, but for new customers who don't know who the Woodman's Arms are and don't mm-hmm. know who the Mill House is, they need to like see us as independent. Yeah. So, so again, see, it's just owned by the same company rather than being yeah enjoined or entwined in each other. Yeah. So again, like the like when when you think oh you're gonna open up your business and things get easier, well they don't. You just you just face with diff- different problems. You know. So yeah. the problems we have now is how do you how do you keep the quality of the Woodmans and grow another business and try and establish two businesses mm-hmm. because the Woodmans are still growing all the time, you know, and we're still trying to improve that all the time. Yeah. But then now you've got another venue to, to, to try and push and promote and mm-hmm. get right, you know, so it's a, it's like different kind of headaches. Yeah. But it's exciting and I love it. Like, I think that's why anybody who wants to get into business, like, you should just crack on and do it. Don't be scared of nothing. Yeah. And then that actually takes us to the next point. I was just going to ask if there's any advice for someone who's sort of on the, it's like on the fence about starting their own business or just sort of going for it or even sort of doing trying to build something sort of similar to the Woodman's in the sort of the restaurant industry and whatnot. What advice or just general sort of things that you would say to them? Um, well, advice is you have to obviously know what you're doing in terms of like love what you need to love what you're doing. Sorry, mm-hmm. you don't need to know what you're doing because I didn't have a clue. Start, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Starting the Woodman's, I didn't have a clue. Like, I genuinely did not have a clue. I had restaurant experience, managing experience, but I didn't have any experience of running my own business. Yeah. You know, so don't be scared. Just go out and, like, at the end of the day, HMRC has set up limited companies so that you, you're not personally liable for anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you need you go out and it's a bit of a risk by you might not earn some money straight away from your business that you mm-hmm. set up, but... Like you need to go out and just put yourself forward. So, as long as you you love what you're doing, you the rest you'll just work out along the way. Yeah. And and just have a, have a core ethos, you know. So like our ethos is just love what we do. So as long as we love what we do, all that'll just help us with any other decisions that mm-hmm. we that we make, you know. So, and it has like it genuinely has. Yeah, I was gonna say because if you have that sort of core ethos or that primary aim in a way. Sort of, you can check any decision that comes across. You can check it against that and be like, if it's like sort of, Mark Manson does this, and I think it was Mark Manson anyway, who um he has. He's not related to Marilyn Manson, is he? No, no. <laughs> but um, he has this nice way of putting it where it's like he makes his decisions based on if it's a if it's fuck yes, then you'll go for it. But if it's not, then he won't at all. Yeah. Like if it's not sort of like a something that you can really get behind, then he just doesn't bother with it. Yeah. Like you'll just sort of be like, no, actually, it's not for me. Yeah, which is obviously that, that that that's what you have to do, and just because you've got to see everything through at the end. So anybody who's wants to start a business, like make sure you, like, I mean, you plan plan financially. Don't just think, oh, I want to go and start a business yeah. doing this, and then you haven't planned it. You know, you have to plan what you're gonna do. But hmm. at the end of the day, don't be worried if if you don't know the answer to everything yeah. and if there's no like clear step in next what's next in the plan yeah. stuff like that just sort of go along with it but as long as you have like a rough as long as you sort of know vaguely 
what you're doing. Yeah, just and then you work you work the rest out on the way. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, once I think we we at one point we had three menus at the Woodman's Arms, like one for inside, one for outside, and one for in the bar. Yeah, I remember that. Actually. Aye, exactly. What a what a shit show that was when we'd done that. Mm. But it's a learning curve, you know. So, like, you just you do, you learn and you move on. You crack on. That's it. Yeah. Um, but in terms of where we want to go forward, we want to just keep opening up restaurants, not not like a chain, so not like a Weatherspoons where you're doing one thing and you roll it out nationally, but yeah. like just using what ethos and apply it to different type of venues. You know, we we'll want to yeah. open up a fish restaurant, um, and then we we'll want to open up a different kind of bar. But as long as because you need people in those venues need to have responsibility to make their own choices and make mm-hmm. changes. So like, for instance, certain dishes on the menu yeah. set up a different way. Because of like sort of where it's at and the people who yeah. go to that. And that's why, um, that's why I think it's important having an ethos because when you, when you apply that in different venues, because the product's different or the style's different, you need something that brings it all back together. Yeah. And a clear point of sort of a set of like sort of, not a set of rules, but sort of a set of just guidelines in which everything else operates from. Yeah, well, I think the staff... I think the sort of the, the big trunk of the tree in which everything grows from. Yeah, which I think the staff just look and go, well, would Chris do this or would Chris mm. not do this? It's like, well, I, I yeah. <laughs> and hopefully I think people know what I would do and what I wouldn't do now, mm-hmm. you know, and what, what I would say yes to and what I would say no to. Yeah. But ultimately, the customer... I always remember Fred Siri X, the one off air. Fred's, yeah, I know who you mean. He, customer is king. You know, he's dead right. And if it's like, if they're at the centre of everything that you do, you'll be successful. Mm-hmm. Which I'd like to think the Woodman's Arms is on that path to That's being successful. Yeah. If we're not already. I was going to say, we're already <laughs> halfway there now. Hopefully. But um, yeah, that's, um, that's all. We're going to talk talk about future plans, but I think you just sort of answered it there, where you wanted to talk, op- like open more venues and stuff like that. No, that's good. Well, to be, if we just end it there. No, so that's good. Right, we'll have to crack one and go. I know, I was going to say. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. If you did enjoy the episode, please share it with a friend or two. It would help me out massively. Also, don't forget, if you do have any feedback or ideas for future guests, please drop me a message via any of the social media platforms listed in the show notes or drop a comment on the video if you're watching this on YouTube. But that's all for now. Have a great day, night or morning, depending on wherever you're listening or watching this. Talk to you all next week.